0: Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Friday. It is January 5th. We're talking about the Green Bay Packers, Chicago Bears, importance rankings. We're also going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks surviving the San Antonio Spurs. We'll discuss the Giannis Wemby matchup. We'll also talk about why Bucks should never have to survive the Spurs and then, lastly, we'll talk about Marquette against Seton Hall. Can they can they fix their road woes? Uh, we'll get into all that today, and probably more. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder: social media, Tevin Keg on Twitter, Tevin Keg Sports, Instagram, as well as TikTok, Facebook, to, I guess, also Threads, um, which I always forget about. But I guess people are on Threads. I've posted a little bit, uh, mostly just here, Here's what I post on Instagram, then I throw it on Threads. Um, So, you don't, you're not getting a ton there. Uh, I know that's a bad sell, Uh, but we are on there too. Uh, Speaking, if you guys are already doing the social media thing or you're new to this program, uh, we are on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're really wherever else you get your podcasts. We are there for you. Uh, We tape four times a week. Uh, We'll be back on Monday to recap everything uh, from this weekend uh, and I'm sure more. Um, and so yeah, that, that will be back on the Monday and we'll, we'll get the schedule out for you next week. So it's, uh, it's a good time and hope you guys enjoy it. And if you're already subscribed and you've been a long time subscriber, make sure you're doing your part to review, make sure you're doing your good part to spread the good word of Tapping the Keg and uh, we really appreciate you. So let's dive in to the Packers and Bears, a massive game on Sunday where if the Green Bay Packers win, They are in. I I think it's shocking that we're here. Um, I I know that might be hyperbole, but the fact that it is the last game of the season, the Green Bay Packers have a chance to make the playoffs, and they are really sort of on the rise. Even if Green Bay does lose this game, which will be terribly disappointing, especially because I'm going to be there, especially because I'm going to be behind the Bears sideline, because I'm going to be with a Bears fan, uh, I I really personally cannot have the Packers lose this game. Like, it will just break my heart. Um, But I, I think in a week, two weeks, three weeks, I will get over it and say, look, the future is bright. It is as bright as it has ever been for the Green Bay Packers. You could even argue it is more bright than 2009. Now, I think it's fair to go back to 2009 and probably a topic for another time to see what 2009 was set up for the Green Bay Packers and what 2023 looks like now. Because I think that that both of those teams, you know, were on a similar trajectory, a potential not Hall of Fame, that's a little intense for Jordan Love, but a potential franchise quarterback who was starting to make his dent in the league. And the ascension was coming. And remember, which I think we'll we'll probably talk about a lot next fall. 2010 was not a rainbows and unicorn season for the Green Bay Packers. They were three and three, uh, with six games into the season. Their offense struggled at times. They really picked up steam down the stretch. Their defense was really good. Probably actually the best last time, they had a really good defense. And Green Bay had to get into the playoffs. They needed a miracle. In the Meadowlands from Deshaun Jackson, they needed to beat uh, the New York Giants' ass, which they did in Lambeau. And then they needed to eke out a victory against a really good Chicago Bears team, which is ironic given this week. So I, I think that, you know, we see this and there is an opportunity for Green Bay to basically say, fuck the rebuild and get into the playoffs And when you're in the dance, you never know what can happen. We say this a lot with baseball, right? Because baseball, with a small market team, it's always very hard to to win World Series or even get to World Series. Small market teams just don't exactly get there. Um, And we say, once you're in the dance, you never know. Look at the Arizona Diamondbacks this year. They had 83 wins, and yet they were in the World Series. Now, am I saying the Green Bay Packers are going to go to the Super Bowl if they win this game? No, not really, but I, I'm also saying that it's, there's a chance, there's a path, um, and anyone else has a, a shot at winning the Super Bowl. And that is the beauty of the playoffs. And I, I would argue that it is more unpredictable than ever because I don't think that the NFL, this is like a good year for the NFL in terms of like there are like multiple teams that are, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. I, I think Baltimore and San Francisco are head and shoulders maybe, but that's it. And those are two teams. And when we think it's Baltimore and San Francisco and nobody else, usually it does not end up that way. Usually somebody tips the apple cart over. So whether that's somebody in the AFC, whether that's somebody in the NFC, that, that's all potentially possible. So it's all there for the Green Bay Packers. There, is a, there probably are going to be a lot of nerves. I, I'm not, I'm not going to discount that. I have to think that, you know, whether it's Matt Lafleur, whether it's Jordan Love, whether it's Joe Barry, whether it's the guys on defense or the young guys on offense, I have to think that there are going to be some nerves heading into this football game. I, I can't ignore that. But Green Bay just needs to play within themselves. I think they're going to have a fired up fan base, a fan base that saw their team last time they were there, basically get ran all, not ran, but basically passed all over by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and just got their asses kicked defensively. And they're going to want to respond. And they're going to want to see this team come out with a fury, come out with a passion, and the idea of they have dominated this matchup between the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears know that. And the Chicago Bears want to change the narrative, which they wanted to do in week one and the Green Bay Packers, batted them on the nose like a dog who did something wrong. But it's, it's the question, like are they going to be actually able to do it? Are the Bears going to be able to take all of the momentum and really be the Detroit Lions of last year, which we covered in great length on yesterday's podcast. You can go listen to it. It was a great, great discussion with Mitch and I. That, to me, is an outstanding question, a question that I have about this team. Can they actually find the motivation? Even though they said like, hey, we're doing this for Justin Fields, we wanna be the spoiler, we wanna be this, we wanna be that. At the end of the day, if the Packers go up early and they punch them in the mouth and they're up ten nothing or they're up fourteen to nothing, what's going to stop the Bears from quitting and saying, It's been a good season and we're 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 all right and we'll start thinking about Cancun and we'll start thinking about what we're gonna do in January when we're watching the playoffs versus actually playing. I I think that that, and, and, and like, let's also be clear here. I think if you go back and you listen to the podcast I did Friday before the Packers-Lions game last year, I'm sure I said similar things because I think that ultimately that is the truest statement you can make. You can't like, can't fake that. And I I, I just don't see the Bears coming back if the Packers get up early. But that could be naive of me, That it really could. But anyways, I wanna talk about importance rankings and I wanna talk about who matters the most in this matchup. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with importance rankings, you're new to the program, I've done these for, for a bunch of different games. It's a great way, in my opinion, to preview uh, matchups, looking at really the 10 most important things um, that are going on usually mostly players there are a couple coaches thrown in there um and i, I love doing it uh, i don't know if everybody else loves doing it uh mitch doesn't uh mitch is not a fan of of it uh maybe it's one of those things where you know i like it but that no one else does uh or you know maybe i've seen the, the response like the the listens well a couple times i'm like oh everybody loves this and it's like it actually isn't the case like I, I know sometimes your significant other does that to you where they're like well you love this like you you went here yada yada uh, my significant other doesn't do it my mom would do that a lot where it would be like I, I would just say I'd like one thing and then I'd have like seven of them and I'm like, what the fuck? So, which, shout out, shout out to mom. But seriously, uh, that that was always a, uh, that's always an issue. So anyways, let's get into the importance rankings. Uh, number one on my list is Quay Walker. Uh, Quay Walker to me is the most important player in this football game. I think Quay Walker matters the most. I think his impact on this football game is the most important. Uh, and it's because he is going to be the pseudo spy on Justin Fields. I'm not saying it's going to be every play, but Quay Walker is going to have moments where he's going to be in space with Justin Fields. And when Justin Fields is going to run, and uh, as my guy official 414 calls him Scramble Boy, if Scramble Boy takes off, Quay Walker's got to make that tackle. Quay Walker has got to make plays in space. And if Quay Walker makes plays in space, the Bears are going to be severely limited. We pointed out on yesterday's show how the Bears don't do well against three-man pressure, which seems wild because three-man pressure is usually a death sentence for most teams. But because Justin Fields is not that great of a passer, despite what maybe the media tells you, uh, he can't really throw when there are, you know, seven guys defending at the pass, and then you have one guy sitting as a spot. He usually tucks it and runs. And that's where Quay Walker is going to matter the most. If Quay Walker lets Justin Fields get loose, it is going to be a long day for the Green Bay Packers defense. And that's, it all starts with Quay Walker. And I think Quay Walker is ready for this moment. The guy had over hundred tackles this year. I, I think it's interesting that Daniel Jeremiah pointed out that the success of Baltimore and San Francisco are their off-ball linebackers. And that's what Quay Walker is. And Packers took a lot of shit for taking Quay Walker. And I I think Quay Walker is a lot better than some people think. Um, And I hope he's unleashed too. Like I, I do think there are situations where you can put Quay Walker as a blitzer and say, all right, if you know Justin Fields is passing this football, go after him, go get him and go make something happen. And he's going to make mistakes. And Justin Fields is a turnover prone quarterback. And Quay Walker picked him off and ran it back for a touchdown, got himself a concussion. Again, I have no idea what it is with the Packers getting hurt when they score touchdowns, but it's happened way too often this year. But it's not to say Quay Walker can't have a massive impact on this game, just like he did, you know, uh, in game one of the season, which a lot, a lot has changed. So uh, Quay Walker is certainly a huge factor in this game. Number two is Jordan Love. I, I think Jordan Love has had just an incredible end of the season. Um, it's been pointed out by so many people. And I think it's kind of starting to finally pick up some momentum, not just locally, but nationally, about what Jordan Love has been doing. I think it's it's been incredible. Uh, Love deserves a lot of credit for just his development. Matt LaFleur deserves a lot of credit for getting Love to this point. Uh, But this this is where you make your money, right? This is where you really stamp it down and beat your rival at home to get in the playoffs. This is a great spot for Jordan Love. Now, he did not seem nervous. He did not seem rattled against Minnesota, who remember Minnesota really put it to Jordan Love, really blitzed the living hell out of Jordan Love. But I think at this point, Jordan Love actually probably embraces the blitz. They've had dealt with so many teams that blitz. And Iberflus is not a blitz-happy guy, so that maybe is a slight concern because they all they've seen is blitz. It, whether it's Flores, Wink Martindale, uh, Todd Bowles, Spagnola, um, Aaron Glenn, not exactly a ton, but like they've seen so many blitzing defenses that I feel like Jordan Love's accustomed to it at this point. Uh, I, I think you know, just making sure and making the right reads, and he's been just really. It's not even conservative, but he's just making the smart pass. Like he has one interception in his last seven games. He's sixteen for one. He has one of the best touchdown interception rates of anybody in football right now. And again, that's something the the old guy used to do, right? And so. It can Jordan Love keep this up against a emerging Bears defense? This has been a very good Bears defense down the stretch, but they have not faced a quarterback like Jordan Love. That has to loom in the back of Bears fans' heads and the Bears on the field, right? Like, they have to know, like, the quarterbacks we've faced have not been the creme de la creme of the Quarterbacks in the NFL, like since this run for the the Bears, really it's just been Jared Goff, right? Jared Goff's been the only one, and Jared Goff is a different quarterback in the cold. We know this. He just cannot handle cold weather. And if the Lions have to go to cold weather, I'm telling you, dump the mortgage out on the other team. <laughs> like that is that's your goal. Like don't even think about it, okay? But yeah, the Bears have just not necessarily played a tough schedule of quarterbacks. Like, the last, so they've had T- Taylor Heineke, right? They had Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's all right, but he's not Jordan Love. Not the season Love's having. Joe Flacco is having this incredible, like, renaissance. But this was, like, the start of the Flacco sort of experience, if you will. We talked about gol- golf in the cold. Um, they also faced the the Minnesota Vikings, and I think it was the last of the Dobbs Insanity. Bryce Young was kind of where it started, and they, like Derek Carr, so the last good quarterback, the last quote unquote good quarterback, I, I think you you would say uh, okay, golf in the dome, they which was a thirty-one to twenty-six loss, which the Bears blew that game late. Let's look at golf's numbers in that game. He had three interceptions, so he, yeah, that's right, he turned the ball over a bunch in that game. He had three picks, but he was two of thirty-six or two hundred thirty-six QB rating sixty-eight. So golf wasn't good. They did well against golf in that game, but. I still think that they they have not necessarily seen a guy like Jordan Love. And Jordan Love just needs to play his game. Jordan Love needs to be the quarterback he's been for the last seven or eight games. And it is on Matt LaFleur to make sure that Jordan Love makes some easy throws early, gets him comfortable in this game. As much as I think you can beat the Bears on explosives and beat the Bears on, on edge, I don't know if I want a deep ball from Jordan Love early on in this game. And I know if he does it and he hits it uh, and I'm in Lambeau and I'm going fucking nuts, uh, I, I, I will regret that. But I, I just think that it, it's, I want the green, I want him to be comfortable. I want him to get started early. The Packers have you know, been taking the ball and scoring. I think it's a weird key to their success. I think this team just plays better with the lead. So yeah, Jordan Love's number two. Aaron Jones, number three. Uh, Aaron Jones... With him, it, the Bears have one of the top rushing defenses in in the NFL uh, in terms of rushing success rate defensively, uh, which is an advanced metric. Uh, basically, means you know how how well can you stop the run? You know what's your success, or how how successful are you stopping the run? It's really sort of self-explanatory. The Bears are fourth in the NFL. Um, Aaron Jones was able to run all over this Bears defense in Week One. I think it's going to be a little different. This is definitely an uphill climb. Now that to say, Minnesota was a pretty good run defense, or has been a pretty good. Run. Oh no, they've taken a step back. Pardon me. They were. Uh, they're 18th, so they've they've sort of fallen off. So they aren't the same run defense that they were earlier this season. So that is going to be a challenge for the offensive line. A challenge for Aaron Jones. If you don't have Elton Jenkins, that obviously affects that. But I think the Packers need to make sure that they remember the run game. I thought it was really interesting. I was listening to, I think it was a cover three, recapping, which great great college football podcast. They were recapping uh, Washington and Texas. And they were talking about how like elite play callers, like Steve Sarkeesian, sometimes just forget the running game. And they just forget that that it's working and that it's going well. And who is an elite play caller that forgets the run game? I was like, oh, that's Matt LaFleur. Like Matt LaFleur just forgets he has a run game and he cannot forget that. Even if it's a struggle, they need to keep pounding the football, control the clock. Like I, I think just keep, you know, there is a key to success offensively. The Packers have scored 30 plus points the last two weeks and Aaron Jones has ran the ball 20 times in both games. I don't think that that is a coincidence at all. So I think you keep running the ball with Aaron Jones, even though the Bears are tough against the run. Number four for me is Jalen Johnson, uh, Chicago Bears corner. He's had a really good year. He's going to get paid either by the Bears or somebody else. He has a shoulder injury. He said he's going to go. He only played 20 snaps against Atlanta. Uh, he is there. He's sort of the guy that can run with Christian Watson. That is, you know, basically going to prevent deep threats. If Jalen Johnson cannot go for the Chicago Bears, that is going to be a major issue. And the back end for Chicago now. Tyreek Stevenson, you know, was defensive player of the week last week for the NFC. So he's he's been playing well on the other corner position. But if they don't have Jalen Johnson, they have fifth round pick Tyrell Smith. That is who they're going to have to go with, um, and that will not be pretty. And the Packers' receiving core has emerged um, with Jaden Reed, with Watson, with Wicks. Um, they're going to attack that, and they're going to attack that matchup. I would not be. I know what I said about, hey, no deep balls early. And I I still believe that. I still think they'll go after Jalen Johnson and force him to make a tackle on that bum shoulder early and check in. You know, it's not going to be the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, but it's still gonna be cold. Like it's still going to be in the 30s. It's still, it's definitely what you want. It's quintessential Packers-Bears. And as somebody who's banged the drum on this, and I, I believe it in my bones, Lambeau Field's the best when it's thirty degrees, and this is exactly what it should be. Like this, it's perfect. Like this, it's kind of one of those. How do you not love football when you when you go to it, when you're gonna see it on your TV? Um, but yeah, test that shoulder early. See what Jalen Johnson's all about. Number five for me is Zach Tom. Uh, Zach Tom will have the task of dealing with Montez Sweat. Zach Tom's been incredible this year. To me, Zach Tom's an All Pro. Um, I don't think he's gotten enough credit for the year he's had. Um, He is a bona fide star for Green Bay, and he's going to get Montez Sweat. And he handled the Neil Haunter last week. I think he can handle Montez Sweat this week. Um, Sweat's been incredible. He's been really good for the Bears. I was wrong about that. I have to eat that out. The Bears knew what they were doing, Um, and that's credit to Ryan Bowles. I, I will say something nice about Ryan Bowles. That was a good move. And now it's up to Zach Tom to hold Montez Sweat down. Um, And that's going to be a challenge. And he did it last week. He's been really good. Again, underrated in terms of the season he's having. And he's just going to matter a ton for the Green Bay Packers this season. Or I'm sorry, for this game. Rashawn Gary is my number six. Uh, Rashawn Gary had a interesting game last week where it didn't seem like he was that effective but he had eight pressures you know he was in the mix right like he was certainly getting himself involved in the plays and I think really the importance for Rashawn Gary in this game is not necessarily the pressures the sacks it's staying in your lane Rashawn Gary way too often crashes in Rashon Gary needs to play with the restrictor plate on just a little bit. I realize that he might be an all gas, no breaks kind of guy, but we need Rashon Gary to just keep his composure and hold his water a little bit because of what Justin Fields can do in terms of scrambling with the football. So, I, I think that that is an important part of the front seven equation. We talked about Quay Walker earlier. I think Rashawn Gary matters. I think also you could throw, even though he's not in that top 10 for me, Lucas Van Ness, if you don't have Preston Smith. And that's a huge moment for whether it's uh, Van Ness, Gambare. And, and the, the whole thought is the same, right? Stay in your lanes. Do not necessarily crash in. And that has been a problem for the Packers. In the past, uh, I, I wouldn't say as much this year, but I feel like last year it was a real issue for them. So I, I think that matters for for Rashawn Gary. And you know, again, going back to you give him this contract, this is when big players step up. Like this is when you want your guys who you've given big money to to make something happen and make plays. And hopefully Rashawn Gary is involved. And again, another thing about Justin Fields, he can give up the football. And he can fumble the football and he can throw interceptions. Number seven is Justin Fields. I think while the discourse on Justin Fields this week has been, should the Bears keep him? Should they not? Are they going to rally around Justin Fields? Has anyone talked about how much pressure Justin Fields is on this week? The pressure for Justin Fields is immense. This is quite the moment for Justin Fields. Justin Fields has not been in this situation in his entire career. I just wonder, is that going to affect him? Is he going to try to do too much? And we've seen when Justin Fields tries to do too much, it leads to turnovers. And I just wonder, is this going to be too much for Justin Fields? Again, this is why we talked about getting out to an early start and saying, well, the Bears might quit. Well, it might not even be that the Bears quit. It might be Justin Fields starts forcing things and all of a sudden the turnovers come back. And even though he's been playing well, the turnovers are still there for Justin Fields. And he's still a turnover-laden quarterback. And similarly to old Bears quarterbacks like Jay Cutler, at some point, you know Justin Fields is gonna make a mistake. It's just a matter of, do you capitalize on it? do you score a touchdown off of it do you recover the fumble do you pick off the football that that those need to happen and i just don't see a scenario where justin fields absolutely outplays jordan love i think that would shock me i I really would even though justin fields is playing better if justin fields outplays jordan love that's gonna be a tough one that's gonna be a really tough pill to swallow um and that that it'll hurt i'm not gonna lie um i think we've we've had a narrative around justin fields and we've built it it's there um and if we have to pick it off uh, that would that would suck and we'll we'll certainly have to see number eight the bash bros uh tucker craft and luke musgrave luke musgrave should be back from injury, Tucker Craft had an awesome quote on, on Friday. I, I think Tucker Craft is kind of my guy at this point. Like I, I love Tucker Craft. I'm all in on Tucker Craft. I'm leaning towards getting a Tucker Craft Jersey, um, but here's here's what Tucker Craft said. I gotta find it here. Um, oh yeah, so this is from uh, Ryan Wood got the quote. Ask Tucker Craft how he envisions sharing the field with Luke Musgrave and the Packers offense long-term. Explosive plays, confused defense, just us punishing people in the way we like to do it. And then Wood adds the commentary, I think Jordan Love would enjoy that a bit. Fuck yeah. Like, that is exactly what you want out of Tucker Craft. Like, I think Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave are gonna make life hell for the Chicago Bears in the middle. I, I, look... The Packers have been really good with one one talented tight end. Can you imagine them with two? Do we even know what that's like? Like that is like <laughs> that is like another world. Like that is like trying a new sex position that you just have no idea. You didn't even know existed. Like we've ne- we've bar- we barely had a good tight end in our really our Packer fandom and now we get another tight end? Like oh my goodness. Like this it's just going to be very interesting to see how that goes and what that, what that looks like. And I'm, I'm excited, man. I cannot wait for the 12 personnel, which for those who are not football heads, that is one wide receiver, two tight ends, or one running back, two tight ends, uh, and then two wide receivers. Like that to me is what the Packers should do all game long. Cruff, Kraft, Musgrave, and then Wicks and Watson, Wicks and Reed, Reed and Watson, Reed and Dobbs, and then Aaron Jones in the backfield. That's it, all game long. I don't know if they'll do it entirely, but I I think you'll see a lot of 12 personnel with both Musgrave and Kraft out on the football field. Cannot wait. Uh, Matt Lafleur is number nine. Um, I I think Maddie just needs to play within himself. Maddie has gotten tight at home. Um, He's had a couple bad home losses like that. Cast the scary a little bit. At some point, you have to look at Matt Lafleur just not necessarily living up to the big moment. He lost the lot. He had a, you know, Lions game, you know, and and again, is it on him or is it on his quarterback? So that, I mean, that is, that's the question, right? Um, And it's like, okay, it was the Lions uh, last year, it was the 49ers the year prior. And the Buccaneers was more, I think, on LaFleur than Rogers. Rogers played pretty well in that game. Um, Like, those are three examples where the Packers have ended their season at Lambeau Field. Um, Can this, can this change, right? Can LaFleur step up and deliver in the moment? That's the real question. And then lastly is Jair Alexander. Um, I, I think Jair is gonna have a big game. I, I'm i not gonna call pick six, but I think Jair makes a very big impact in this game in some capacity. I think he got humbled a lot. And, and I, I saw, I think it was Bukowski and I forget his partner's name, wrote a thing about how we just kind of don't always understand human beings. And that we don't always understand, you know, like there needs to be some compassion. And I I do wonder, you know, was Jair just a little too full of himself? And he basically, you know, and, and look, that happens. That happens in all of our lives, right? Where we have the Superman cape and we try to do more than we think we should or that that we are maybe allowed to do in society and we go above and beyond and we're like I'm not gonna get caught or I'm not gonna I'm not gonna necessarily you know do basically like you know kind of live on the edge and then all of a sudden you get whacked back down and you're like you know what not bigger than than you know life and so I I think there's gonna be a big game for Daira Alexander Um other guys that I just deserve mention that I think are important from the Packers side of things, Darnell Savage, Kenny Clark, Joe Barry, Rasheed Walker, Sean Ryan, especially if Elton Jenkins doesn't play, Jaden Reed. I think Christian Watson could be added to that mix. Um, you could even say Patrick Taylor if uh Dylan can't go. Um, so I, I think those are all guys important from the Packers side of things, Bears side of things, Cole Komet, uh DJ Moore, uh Tyreek Stevenson. Sweat, who we mentioned a little bit, and Matt Eberflus. And I think we've talked about, you know, can Matt Eberflus, you know, get the troops going? I have the Green Bay Packers winning this football game. I think the Packers win this one 27-17. Um, I think that this is not very close. I think Green Bay is going to, do- not even not dominate, but I think what we talked about, about getting out early, I think you'll have a last gasp for the Bears. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more 27-10 and they get a last-second touchdown. I think the Packers win this game. I think they're ready for it. I think they, this moment doesn't scare them. And I think every, they're saying all the right things this week. And I believe the Packers will get it done. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks beat the San Antonio Spurs on Thursday night, 125 to 121. It was a nail biter for the Bucks against a five win Spurs team. Yeah. So I I think before we get started and before we talk negatively, let's just appreciate the giannis victor Wembenyama matchup. Uh, Antetokounmpo and Wembenyama were going at it all game long. It was an absolute joy to watch those two go back and forth. Giannis tried to dunk on Wemby at the end and Wemby block him. Giannis hitting the two threes. Wembenyama hitting a three of his own. It was a fucking awesome fourth quarter between those two guys. And I think that's some frustration that people have with this Spurs team is like, this is what it could be all season. But there are times where they don't even give Victor Wembenyama the basketball. I couldn't believe that the offense really isn't run around Wemby. They are still running the Popovich system without really a focus on Wembinyama. It's crazy to me. And, you know, I I think if they would run it around Wembenyama, I don't know if the Bucs win this game. Uh, But Giannis Antetokounmpo was incredible. Giannis did not let this team lose 44 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists. I mean, just another incredible game for Giannis. He was named Eastern Conference Player of the Month for December, which I kind of hope this now sparks this MVP discussion around Giannis. I don't necessarily need anybody to... To recognize Giannis, like I don't need that for my own personal validation, but I, I just hope people are paying attention. I hope people want to watch this team because Giannis Antetokounmpo is is having just an incredible, incredible season, and the battle that he had with Wemby and hitting those threes, you know, is is kind of a reminder of what Giannis can do. And Giannis did not let the Milwaukee Bucks lose this game. Giannis was really, really good. And there are games like this where it's Giannis and everybody else. I know Dame had 25 points, but Dame really didn't do much until that fourth quarter. Now, that could have been because Chris Middleton only played the first half and Dame sort of deferred to Chris Middleton. But Giannis Antetokounmpo looked great in this game and he's continued to pulverize teams. And it just, every every night, it seems to be a new sort of, big Giannis game and Antetokounmpo was ready for that challenge. You know he wanted Wemby and wanted to you know make a statement against Victor. He loves picking on rookies. He gets up for these kind of games and Kumbo did just that and it was really fun to watch. I think you're going to get Giannis Wemby matchups on ESPN TNT going forward. I, I think these, these are games that people are going to want to watch um, especially if the Spurs get good. Like it's, you know, it's kind of the NBA's current face versus maybe their future face. And it, it's weird that it's, we're kind of at this point, you know, it uh, just shows you we're getting old, but you know, Giannis versus LeBron was kind of a thing that we saw, especially early on. And, you know, Giannis, the beating the Cavs, I remember was such a huge accomplishment for Giannis and then Javari Parker. And Giannis, I think might've had, he had a big game in, in one of those. And it was like, well, if we ever, and then once the Bucks got good, it was like, are we gonna get the Giannis versus LeBron in the playoffs? And we've just never got it. And we've never got a finals. LeBron went to the, the West once Giannis got good, uh, goes to the Lakers. And will we ever get Wembenyama versus Giannis? Will we ever get Jokic versus Giannis? It was more like they're equals. Uh, Luka, Giannis is the same thing, right? But are we going to get the Wembenyama versus Giannis, or Wembenyama and Wembenyama? Jokic could actually happen because they're in the same they're in the same conference. But I think it's just interesting that this is now the next generation and the next iteration of those sort of premier matchups that don't always happen in the NBA. Uh, it's it sucks. I, I think that's. One Of the things that's unfortunate, I, I mean, it happens in football too, right? We never we never got Brady Rogers in a Super Bowl, we got it in an NFC championship game in COVID year, which I you just wish that that was another year and you wish it was a full crowd at Lambeau Field, and and just which is regrettable. And that that's life and that's it's how things were back then, but it, it's definitely like hopefully we get those moments. Um, but on to the Kumbo and Wembanyama, it was fantastic theater Kevin Harlan was in his bag um and yeah two great NBA games too I I admittedly obviously taping I'm taping this podcast at like six in the morning I went to bed uh and then I got the notification as I was about to go to bed that Jokic hit a buzzer beater uh which I was mad I missed it but also glad I I I turned it off because I was prepping well I had to do the review and I was actually going to do the pod and then it's like, ah, it's, I'll just go to bed and tape it early. And so I, I'm sad I missed that, but a great, great night of NBA basketball. That said, even though Giannis Weminyama was, in, I don't know why I'm calling Giannis, I guess because it's Giannis Victor, you can't really say Like, Giannis is Giannis. He's the one guy. I guess it's Giannis or Wemby would be the way to do it. Giannis versus Wemby was incredible, um, but everything else stunk, all right? Like, the Bucks are really struggling with their bench. The, uh, as Mitch pointed out in a group chat, Buck's bench is fucking abysmal. He's absolutely right. It just continues to be awful. And I don't know what more Adrian Griffin needs to see. At some point, Adrian Griffin needs to pull the ripcord here, okay? Like it needs to be Andre Jackson Jr. It needs to be Beauchamp. It needs to be AJ Green. Nobody should have a guaranteed 15 minutes on that bench right now because content and Portis are not playing well. The fact content was in the closing lineup uh, was disgusting. Like that should not happen anymore. Pat, that is not 2021 Pat content. They need to try to address this bench in some fashion. Okay, getting rid of Robin Lopez and signing somebody else to be a backup center. I, I realize that that is not the end all be all, but there's no reason that Brooke Lopez should basically get to have his brother on side when Brooke Lopez is playing like absolute Trash. I wanna save Brooke Lopez, because I, I I have commentary on that and I have thoughts on Brooke Lopez too. Like, you need to do something. You need to shake this shit up and need to make sure people are not feeling comfortable. Adrian Griffin needs to put his dick on the table. And that's what I worry about a little bit. Adrian Griffin, I don't think is doing enough to sort of make these guys understand, like and put his stamp on this organization. He did it with Giannis with three pointers. Like that credit to Griff. Like Griff was really, I think, instrumental in getting Giannis away from the three-pointers. I know he hit two against the Spurs, and that was like, basically one of the reasons the Bucs win this game. But I think Griff and Giannis have have had a good sort of relationship in terms of. Take the threes when it matters, but don't don't rely on them. Don't settle for those three-pointers. Do them in rhythm. Do them in motion. You know, if you're feeling it, go ahead and sh- keep shooting them. But don't, you know, don't fall in love with them is basically what I think Griff's message is. But I don't think Griff has done enough with Bobby Portis. I don't think Griff has done enough with Pat Conton. Like, those guys should not be guaranteed 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Like, Look, I, Houston's a tough game. It's three games and four nights. Houston's a really good home team. That, to me, is a great opportunity to play young guys. That's where the older legs might be a little tired. They might be a little run ragged. Play your young guys. Let your young guys out there and let your young guys go. Those legs aren't going to be as tired. They are, they are going to be ready to roll. Let Jackson and Beauchamp get out there. Let A.J. Green... Make some things happen. Like, I know AJ Green's not a good defender, but fucking Pat Conton isn't either. So why not try AJ Green, who is gonna be better at shooting the basketball, okay? Like, Pat Conton's washed. <laughs> there There is a joke made, and it's intense, and it's a little, little bit edgy, but a guy said Pat's child should only know him as a CEO of a development firm. Absolutely. Like, it, it's done. It's over. He's one of the worst players in the like NBA so far this season per like some advanced metrics. I, I'm I, Like I like Pat Conton. I appreciate everything Pat Contant do. He is part of the Bucks history and he's going to be a Milwaukeean similar to what we've seen with Donald Driver, Leroy Butler. Like that's kind of the impact Pat Contant has is going to have in terms of long-term in the end, Like, it would not shock me. Now, I don't know if he wants to do it, but it would not shock me if Pat Conrad wants to do like, if he does the Steve Novak role in five or six years, that would not surprise me at all. Like, I think that's something Pat Conrad can certainly do. And so like, I, that all said, like, it's just over, man. And that's okay. That's okay. That, that happens. And we just have to acknowledge it. And Griffin has to acknowledge it. And at some point, you gotta pull it. And if you're waiting for Jay Crowder to be back, okay, I can I can buy that. And Jay Crowder might be back for the Boston game, which would be a huge lift for the Bucks. But if I would like to see it before Boston, if you're saving it for Boston, I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's a smart idea. I, I get it from like a tactical perspective that you don't wanna show anything on film, but how much is Boston really gonna adjust for a more young bench focus, right? How much are that, is that going to be like the Celtics saying, all right, now we're really we're really gonna see this. Because that weekend, next weekend is a huge test for Milwaukee. You have the Celtics on Thursday. You have the Warriors on Saturday who Warriors blowing an 18 point lead in like six minutes is really tough um, and really bad. And that could be kind of rock bottom here for the Warriors. And then you have the Kings. So you have three teams who are pretty damn good and three teams that have really good offenses and even the Warriors struggles, like they still have Steph Curry. So how do you do that? How do you respond against those three teams? Like that is a really big test for the Bucs upcoming here next week. And the Rockets are as, as big of a test. Like Again, like I think Houston's only lost two games at home this year, if I'm not mistaken. So that, that to me is like, time is now. Time is now to switch up this fucking bench and, Put your balls on the table. Like grab it by the balls if you're Adrian Griffin and make these key decisions. The Rockets actually are a little worse. Well, they're 14-5 at home. They're 17-15. Their, their issue has been on the road. I also don't know where Reggie Miller was getting. Reggie Miller, I, the, I just, we need to work with Reggie Miller about the Bucs. Like, I don't know who needs to talk to him, but like, he's like, oh, they needed this road win. Like they, they beat Brooklyn and Cleveland earlier last week. They've, you know, they, they've played a lot of road games here recently because they were at home for a ton of December, which is the law of large averages. Like, you know, it, that's, that's how the schedule kind of rolls. But if you look at the Bucks on the road, they're nine and seven on the road. Um, so if we fact check him here, what they beat, let's say Knicks one, one and one, two and one, three and one. They lost to Indiana. They're four and two in their last six on the road. Like what the fuck's Reggie Miller talking about? yeah the Reggie Miller thing was you know crazy I just I I don't I don't know what you know he had the whole thing oh you'll take that for Giannis's three and then he asks, it's another one in his eye. so like just kindly shut up Reggie Miller like we don't we don't need it we don't we don't need to hear it so that's there oh and I, I do want to also say Brooke Lopez is Brooke Lopez gonna box out is Brooke Lopez actually gonna give a shit like what the fuck's going on with Brooke Lopez like I, I just if you're not gonna box out don't you're not on the team, like not necessarily on the team, but like, all right, we'll slash your minutes. There were so many moments in the game last night where he just refused to put a body on him when Benyama. It's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, he just kind of looks like he's cashing checks. And did Brook Lopez sort of play out of his mind to get one more big deal? We've seen this happen in basketball, baseball, football, where the guy gets a big contract and then it's like, nah. I don't necessarily care as much. I'm not gonna do as much back treatment. I'm gonna just kind of revert back to what I was. Brooke Lopez has been awful in this last 10 to 12 stretch. And another guy that I don't know. I don't know if he should be a part of the Bucks' future. And I, I agree with the sentiment that a lot of these guys should be in trade conversations. I, I don't think that this, it would be wrong for John Horst to really sort of shake things up, given the fact that, this may not have been the roster he put together if he knew Damian Lillard was coming to town and this might not even been the coach that he had. Um, yeah, it's Adrian Griffin just, it's not getting better I think is the is the frustration, is that it just, the points in the paint continues to be an issue for the Bucs and it's because they're blitzing and it's because teams are getting into the lane because the Bucs are allowing it. So I, I don't know, uh, it's a long way to go. I'm glad they won, it's on to Houston. That yeah, will not be easy as pointed out. Um, And we'll see if the Bucs can get it done on Saturday night. All right, lastly, uh, Marquette heads to Seton Hall, 11 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, So early, so if you listen to this over the weekend, the game might already have happened. But the Golden Eagles face the Seton Hall Pirates. They try to cure their their road woes. They're one and two on the road this year. They did beat Illinois, which is a, a win that's gonna look better and better. Illinois right now, a top 10 team. Facing off against Purdue tonight, which should be an awesome game. Uh, really, actually, two good games of hoops. You have Butler playing Connecticut at home, uh, and then you have uh, Purdue and Illinois. So that, that's a pretty solid doubleheader. Uh, if you're unique, and I think the NBA you have Knicks, Sixers, you have uh, I think it's Lakers, Grizzlies. Uh, there's also a late game too for the Mountain West. That's that's always a. Uh, Chuck Trishler' favorite is staying up late and watching the Mountain West hoops um, while he arrives in bed, um, and that's just uh, you know it's what we do sometimes on Friday. So there's good night, good night of hoops. But really, Marquette kicks it off on on Saturday, 11 a.m., and they try to win on the road. Um, you know they've they lost to Wisconsin, they lost to Providence. Now those are really two tough places to play. Seton Hall is a tough place to play, but not at the level I think what you see with Providence and Wisconsin. Now, Seton Hall is coming off a big win. They beat Providence, they got on the road, they won in the dunk, now the amp. Um, and now Bryce Hopkins did get hurt um, and they played an overtime game. So I, I think that matters for this one. Um, and the schedule kind of matters. Seton Hall has played a really tough start to their biggie season, playing UConn, Providence, and now Marquette. They did play Xavier in there and got blown out by the X-Men. So this is a really sort of tough sort of stretch here for Seton Hall and hosting Marquette where who beat them pretty soundly last season. And Seton Hall is maybe a little worse than they were last year. And Marquette beat them by 20 at home uh, and just absolutely pulverized uh, the Seton Hall Pirates. And that was a big game from Osoe who had 18 in that one. Uh, along with six rebounds. Uh, Cam Jones had 22, he made five threes. So it was a gym that Cam Jones was pretty comfortable in. A rough day for David Joplin last year. He had five points and he missed seven threes in that basketball game. Seton Hall also had 26 turnovers in the game against Marquette last season. Now that's important because Seton Hall still is not having success holding on to the basketball. Their turnover percentage per compound is 238th 32nd in college basketball, that's not good. Uh, Marquette is ninth in terms of forcing turnovers. That is a red flag if you are a Seton Hall Pirates fan. And that's something that could really help Marquette you know, get jump started on the road. They also sort of, Seton Hall also plays into how Marquette wants them to. Seton Hall wants to attack the paint. Marquette protects the paint really well. Um, Marquette is you know, kind of a, a drop system defensively. They don't mind you shooting threes. Well, Seton Hall doesn't shoot threes. Right now, in terms of their point distribution, the percentage of points that Seton Hall gives up, they are 338 in, the, in college basketball. They do not shoot a ton of threes. Um, and then on the inverse, Marquette 112 in terms of threes, and then 201 in terms of two-pointers. Seton Hall gives up a ton of three-pointers. And they're not exactly great against stopping the three. They're 232 in that category as well. And Hall is not good in terms of offensive rebound, def- you know, in terms of defending offensive rebounds. That's also something they struggle with. We know that has been an issue for Marquette. Seenawall is actually pretty good in terms of cleaning the glass. So Marquette's going to have to kind of show exactly what they did against Creighton. I think the other part of this is Marquette had a long layoff here they'd had a week to prepare for Seton Hall. Like, they've not necessarily had that against the other road teams. You know, after they, they had played Wisconsin, it was coming up, still kind of coming off Maui, right? And they'd played Southern. Um, the game against Providence, they were coming off the game against St. Thomas. So, and finals for that matter. And it was right before the holidays. This There's kind of no excuses here. Like, this is one, it all sets up for Marquette. And this is one Marquette needs to have, I think. I know it's an early start, but I think they should be able to win this basketball game. This this looks like Marquette should win. Uh, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, just laying out everything. Seton Hall has Kadari Richmond, who's a Van Wilder team member. Uh, Adaya Wuso, who killed Marquette when he played for St. John's, is on this team as well. Um, and he's been not as good at, at, for St. John's as, as maybe we saw with the Pirates, but yeah, Richmond is very talented. Dre Davis, um, they don't, even though they rebound offensively a little bit well, they're not that big. Uh, Marquette and them are kind of the same in terms of height. So that's, a, I, I think, again, an advantage to Marquette. Um, and we'll just have to see if the Pirates can get it done against another team. The other thing to keep in mind, they do not play their bench a lot. Uh, their bench minutes are 334. In in college basketball, so that means that they are really, really, really riding on their starters. And they, as as noted, just played an overtime game. Or no, that didn't go overtime. I apologize. I thought that game went to overtime. It did not. But still, Dede Wusso played 37 minutes. Uh, Alamir Dawes played 36 minutes. Dre Davis played 36 minutes. Kadari Richmond played 36 minutes. Like these guys are playing a lot. Of ball, they are really going, you know, seven deep. Um, Isaiah Coleman, a freshman, only played ten minutes. So, like, they they are not necessarily going with other guys, and so that it'll be very interesting to see, you know, are they going to? Is there going to be a little bit of a wear and tear there, um, and see what see what can happen. And, you know, they're going to want to try to beat Marquette. You know, these are guys that have played the Golden Eagles before, you know, uh, Dawes and Davis are transfers, but they were from Holloway's first class. And Seton Hall's trying to, you know, get themselves back into the dance after not getting into last year um, and then after Kevin Willard had left. So, that you know, they, they would really have a great resume if they beat UConn, Providence, and Marquette in the first really – four games of the Big East season. So we'll see if the Pirates can get it done. I think the, the deck is stacked against them and this is the kind of game that can get Marquette right on the road. And if Marquette gets this one, I feel pretty good. I mean, they then don't head out to the road till two weeks when they face St. John's at Madison Square Garden. And then you have back-to-back roadies with them and DePaul. And I you know, I hate playing in DePaul. I just absolutely do. It's, it is it is the worst. And that is the, when the road stretch hits you know, kind of gets going. You have four out of five on the road, you know, in the back half of January. So I think it's really important to get your confidence right on the road before that stretch starts, because that stretch, even though the Paul and Georgetown are are kind of, you know, woven in there, that's still really hard. That's really hard on a team. And I, I think that matters in terms of like what you have. And actually, if you kind of, even if we expand it out, so I have four out of five and then they are home again, four National Marquette, Day, so that's five, of, what's that? Four of six, and then two more road games. So then so really it comes down to six of eight on the road. That's that's really tough. That's for about a month. And that last one is against UConn on a Saturday, uh, which will be something else. And it will will that that's that's looming in the background. Uh but long way to go before that that game. A lot, a lot can happen. All right. We will be back on Monday. We will talk about everything that happened this weekend. And we'll talk Bears, Packers, talk about Lambeau Field. I'll be there. Uh, If you're there, uh, come come say hi. I think we'll have a tailgate. I will put on Twitter which lot we're in. If you want to come say hi and uh, hang out, have a beer. Certainly have beers. um, And we'd love to see everybody uh, if you're you're there. Um, So I will uh, make sure to tweet that out. Put that on Instagram. And... uh, Let's uh, let's have some fun. Uh, it should be a lot of fun at Lambo. I cannot wait. I'm glad the weather is cooperative. I'll take 30 at Lambo any day of the goddamn week. Uh, I've I've watched games at, in sub-zero temps. Um, it's not fun. You just got to make sure you're bundled up. Uh, so I I, I kind of scoff at people who are like, oh, I don't like the cold at Lambo. It's like that's why you that's why you go. So, anyways, take care of yourself. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. All right, take care, guys. Bye.